in Corinthians 1 verse 18 through to 2 verse 5. So that's on our sheet or you can find it in your Bible. I'll just give this a second. All right. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish, has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since the wisdom of God, the world through it, sorry. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters. When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom, as I proclaim to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. This is the word of the Lord. Hey, that's on now. Um, good to see you all. If a couple of people I don't know, um, my name's Steve, and we're about to work uh, through those verses. Although, heads up, we won't get through chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. Uh, Maka told me I've only got an hour to preach, not an hour and a half, so I'll, I'll cut those last five verses off. And if you're here for the first time, I won't preach for an hour either, so settle down. In for about the next 20 minutes, we're going to be looking at those verses. Um, I've got to start the recording, don't I? There we go. Uh, that's only so it's recorded so I can use it uh, up at the Point Church, which is where I'm from, uh, tomorrow morning, because I'll be competing in the Ironman, the full Ironman, so we can replay it to them. And that's another joke as well. Um, Rob, you introduced yourself as a manly supporter. 
I'm regretting the fact that I didn't wear my red and white because I'm a dragon supporter. And so we can just spend the rest of our time fighting now, can't we? Um, that was going on in the Corinthian church. There was fighting going on within the Corinthian church about something far more important than footy. And it's actually the age we live in now as well. Have you noticed? Um, Michael Rowland, an ABC journalist, wrote a piece uh, last week titled Federal Election Sees Voters Turn on uh, Journalists. Uh, He was commenting on social media. He made a comment about a politician and all the hate that came out to him afterwards. He he wrote, a huge increase in abuse and petty name-calling occurs on social media since the election campaign began. Really? Where's Michael been on social media for the last couple of years? Did, did, Did you see the outrage a couple of years ago when Jamie Oliver was cooking while he was holding his six month old son River uh, and the outrage that happened because he was holding his son near a stove while he cooked. Uh, have you ever posted anything on social media and had people you don't even know express their outrage? Uh, I googled during the weeks um, the age of outrage and got 43 million hits. This is the age we live in now. Put a view forward and you're gonna, and the haters are going to hate. But let's not blame social media. Uh, last week, we heard the Apostle Paul have to rebuke the Corinthians for their tribalism. Well, let me just take us back a few verses earlier than what we just had read to us. Uh, verse 11 of chapter 1. For it has been reported uh, to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers and sisters. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or the real super spiros, I follow Jesus. Paul had to rebuke the Corinthians for their tribalism. Humans have always been tribal. A little background to the Corinthians to help us understand their tribalism. Uh, Corinth was an economic hub for its day. Uh, Trade routes between east and west, north and south, Corinth sat right in the middle, which meant people from all sorts of different cultures came to live in Corinth 2,000 years ago. It, It was a place to come and make a living. It was a place of prosperity and all the sins that come along with prosperity. Drunks, divorcees, sexually promiscuous, self-centred tribal people lived at Corinth. And so as we work through 1 Corinthians this term and next, they're some of the sins that we're going to see the Apostle Paul had to deal with. Uh, Paul went into Corinth, preached the gospel of Jesus for the first time, and these wealthy Corinthians got saved and brought all their baggage into the church and brought all of their tribalism. Now, what I find interesting is that this letter that is going to deal with some of the, what we call, big sins of life, sexual immorality, divorce, drunkenness, Christians that were taking each other to court. These these sins are what Paul's going to address. Where he starts the letter is a rebuke on tribalism. 
I follow Paul. I follow Kephas. I, I follow Jesus. The second half of chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians tells us why Paul started there. And so what we're going to do, we're going to look at verses 18 to 25 and see that tribalism actually begins from a worldly wisdom that thinks that we don't need God to work this world out. And then we're going to look at verses uh, 26 to 31 and we're going to see just how stupid tribalism is because we're all nobodies. Okay, so you got your Bible open, chapter 1, verse 18 again. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And then Paul goes on to quote from the Old Testament, from Isaiah chapter 29. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. And we're sort of thinking... Why are you throwing in Isaiah 29? What are you talking about? What we're about to see is Paul does this play on the word of the cross, the message of Jesus, and, and what that means, and the wisdom that God has in the message of Jesus, versus the wisdom, the power that the world chases. Let's keep reading. Verse 20. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? These were all big things for the Greeks and the Romans 2,000 years ago. The wise person who would speak in the marketplace, the philosopher, the debater, rhetorician was, was big back in the day. Where are these people? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Tribalism is ugly. It's ugly to think we're better than somebody because they're not part of our tribe. And yet we all do it. We, we all look down at our noses uh, down our noses at other people. I mean, how am I going to get on with Rob now? He goes for manly. But it's a bit more serious than that, isn't it? Our tribalism. And verse 21 tells us why we look down our nose and think that we're better than other people. Uh, 20 and 21, actually. It, it's because we follow the wisdom of the world. Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. Now, what's Paul talking about here? What is the wisdom of the world? It's a wisdom that thinks it, it, can, work its, uh, it can work life out without reference to God. All sorts of things fall under this umbrella of the wisdom of the world. Whenever we think we can work ourselves out, work God out without uh, work this world outwork ourselves out without reference to God. That's the wisdom of the world. It's been going on since the beginning. A serpent came up to Eve and said, did God really say? 
And she grabbed the bait and thought she could work out the garden without God. And then Paul referenced Isaiah 29. 700 years before uh, Jesus came along, uh, there was a prophet Isaiah. And, and God spoke to this prophet and said, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. Do not think you can work me out or this world out without me. And then uh, we've got Paul addressing the Corinthians in an age where philosophers, uh, rhetoric, uh, people who thought they could work the world out without reference to God. That was the Greeks. The Jews thought they knew better than God. They didn't like a crucified Messiah. They wanted a Messiah who would come in power and take over the Romans. So they thought they knew better than God. And so here's God's point in 1 Corinthians 1, 18 to 25. No wise philosopher, no clever scientist, no pious priest will ever be able to explain how this world works without reference to me. But we can understand how this world works. How? Verse 18, the word of the cross. What does the word of the cross teach us? That we are far more sinful than we ever admit. Ah, sorry, I just realised what I'm doing. I forget you guys use the NIV. Um, so I've got a different translation at home. And it's the word of the cross. In the end of it, the message of the cross. Verse 18, the message of the cross. Um, how does the message of the cross help us understand how this world works? Well, the message of the cross tells us that we are far more sinful than we would ever admit. Our sin, your sin, my sin cost more than we know how deep the Father's love for us. Sitting at the very heart of how this world works is the reality that God made us for him. We're made by God for God. But we've rebelled against him. We've sinned against him. And so this world is broken. You and I are broken. The message of the cross teaches us that we are more sinful than we would ever admit. But the word of the cross, the message of the cross, also teaches us that we are more loved than we could have ever hoped for. God, as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, came up with a plan to send Jesus into the world and die for sinners. There is not a single person that deserves the grace and the mercy and the patience and the sacrificial love of God, and yet it is on offer through Jesus. The cross, the message of the cross, teaches us that we are more loved than our wildest dream could have ever hoped. God's wisdom and God's power is found in the message of the cross. Uh, the message of the cross is folly to clever people. The message of the cross is weak to religious people. Why? Uh, 
Because clever people want to think they can work eternal life out through their cleverness. Is that a word? It'll do for tonight. Religious people want to think that they can work eternal life out through their religion. And God says, no. The message of the cross is the only way to find life in him. And here's the thing about the message of the cross and tribalism. No race, culture, social class, education, religious pedigree, nobody, absolutely nobody deserves God's forgiveness. And yet, God's forgiveness is freely offered to everybody. Listen to how Paul puts it in verses 26 to 31. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. To be as provocative as I possibly can, we are all nobodies. That's what we were just told. Now, some of you who have heard preaching on 1 Corinthians 1 before, or maybe you've done some work, might have heard of Selena Hastings, the 18th century countess. As a countess, she was wealthy. In the world's eyes, she was a somebody. And this is what she wrote about those words. Blessed be God, they do not say any mighty, any noble. It says many mighty, many noble. I owe my salvation to the letter M. If If it had been not any noble, where would the countess have been? Here's the thing about a countess or even a queen. The message of the cross says that we are all nobody. We all deserve hell. Standing before our creator, none of us is wise, none of us is good, none of us is religious, none of us is strong. The verdict hanging over all of our heads is guilty. Sinner, rebel, we're all nobodies. Our only hope is the message of the cross. And did you notice a repeated word throughout the verses that we just read? It's the word chose or the word called. It's there in verse 26, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Verse 27, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things. Working through 1 Corinthians, this term and next is going to be controversial. We'll hit lots of controversial issues that are hot topics in our culture at the moment. 
sexual ethics, gender roles, marriage, divorce, singleness, they're all going to come up. But here in chapter 1, we have the most controversial topic of them all. You and I, all of us, are nobodies. We're all reliant on God's call, God's choice. The reason I'm a Christian is not because God weighed up my good, God weighed up my bad, and the good outweighed the bad. The reason I'm a Christian is not because I was somehow a little bit clever enough to say yes to Jesus, more so than say my brother who hasn't yet. It's not because I'm religious. I have absolutely no boast before God. I have no boast before you. I'm a Christian because God called me. Full stop. No more to the story. And when we get this, tribalism's killed. As Jordan put it well last week, Jesus is the only hero in the room. The rest of us are nobodies. So my tribe is not better than your tribe. We cannot pull even Jesus out and say, I follow Jesus, I'm better than you. Jesus alone is the hero. And as verse 18 says, the rest of us are either perishing because we have not accepted the message of the cross or we're saved and we're being saved because we have. Because God has called us. Now, there is a brand of Christianity that embraces the nobody doctrine in a way that God never intended. It's a false humility that refuses to latch on to any of the blessings that God also provides through Jesus. Let, let's call it a lopsided Christianity. I've got the image of, you know, those young guys who go to the gym and only do upper body workouts and toothpick legs, big chest, toothpick legs. There's a lopsided Christianity as well. Uh, these Christians so focus on the nobody teachings in the Bible, they forget all the blessings that God pours on his children. It, it, it's either, oh, I'm just a nobody. I need to try harder. I need to be harder. Or even worse, you're just a nobody. You need to try harder. You need to be better. That's lopsided focus on the Bible. And so, yes, it is true, it is true, it is true. No philosopher, no scientist, absolutely no smartness whatsoever will ever earn us a seat at God's table. No religious practice, no religious incantation, no religious sacrifice will ever earn us a seat at God's table. We can never do enough good to cancel out our bad we are truly and rightly deserving of God's punishment. We must get our head and heart around the fact we are nobody. But God, through his son Jesus Christ, has done something about this. God can now offer a seat at his table to sons and daughters. 
Look with me again at verse 30, and and as I read it out, as you listen, as you follow, I want you to do whatever you can to picture in your mind Jesus standing in heaven at the right-hand side of the Father. Verse 30. And because of him, and because of God who has called you, and because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification, or or that's another word for holiness, and redemption. John Bunyan lived in the 1600s. He's the author of Pilgrim's Progress. Has anyone read Pilgrim's Progress? All right. I heard, read, while I was on holidays, Spurgeon read Pilgrim's Progress every year. Uh, He also wrote about 50 other books, John Bunyan, one of which is titled Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners. And here's what he wrote in that book. But one day as I was passing in the field with some dashes on my conscience, fearing yet that all was not right, so he was worried that he wasn't right with God. Suddenly this sentence fell upon my soul. Your righteousness is in heaven. I thought I saw with the eyes of my soul Jesus Christ at God's right hand. There was my righteousness. Wherever I was or whatever I was doing, God could not say of me that I lacked his righteousness, for that was ever before him. Moreover, I saw that it was not my good frame of heart that made my righteousness better, nor yet my bad frame that made my righteousness worse, for my righteousness was Jesus Christ himself, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now did my chains fall off my legs indeed I was loosed from my afflictions and irons my temptations also fled away from that time those dreadful scriptures of God quit troubling me now I went home rejoicing for the grace and love of God brothers and sisters we can embrace our nobodiness because through Jesus Christ God embraces us Not because we're worth it, but because Jesus Christ is our righteousness, our sanctification, our redemption. Are you ashamed you cannot do the good you want to do? Look to Jesus. He's our righteousness. Are you ashamed you do what you know you shouldn't do? Look to Jesus. He's our sanctification. He's our holiness. Do you wish you could pay God back? No, 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 no. Look to Jesus. He is our redemption. He's paid it all. We come to Jesus empty, absolutely no boast. We come as a nobody and we walk away as a child of God, which frees us to boast and boast and boast and boast about Jesus. It frees us to be humble and hopeful instead of proud and tribal. Where is your boast? In Jesus? In Jesus alone? Or do you hold a little bit back for yourself? Do you look down on other people at church? Do you look down on other people around town? Do you look at someone and think that they're just beyond God? 
Do you think they should never be in church? Are you quick to join the age of outrage on social media? This term and next, as we work through 1 Corinthians, God will speak to us a lot about heated topics. Heated topics in our culture like sexual sin, sexual orientation, gender differences, divorce. Heated topics within our church like spiritual gifts and and gender differences. And as we do, we're going to be confronted by two sinful urges. One is to think... I'm better than you. I'm better in this area than you are. Or I'm better than you because I follow Jensen, I follow Piper, I follow so-and-so. I follow Jesus and I'm better than you. We'll also be tempted to follow no Bible teacher and just cave in to worldly wisdom. Christians at the moment are being told to keep our mouths shut or to make the Bible more palatable to the world. I've been wondering all week, do I mention Israel Folau or not? I'll hang around for 45 minutes afterwards, because I've mentioned them. How's that? Now, is Instagram the place to put up 1 Corinthians chapter 6, which we will be preaching on in a few weeks' time? I'm not so sure. But are we to keep our mouth shut with what Jesus says? Are we to keep our mouth shut that there is a heaven and there is a hell and there's only one way to be right with God? We're going to be tempted in two ways this term as we come across these hot topics. To think I'm better than you and to keep our mouth shut. 1 Corinthians is the perfect part of the Bible for us to be in, given our current cultural environment. And chapter 1 is worth coming back to through the entire series. Jesus is our only boast. We are not better than anyone. But chapter 1 also teaches us we cannot keep our mouths shut. Let me finish again with verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. They're perishing. They're eternally perishing. And we've only got the message of the cross. Because to those who are being saved, the message of the cross is the power of God. Amen. Amen. How about I pray? Oh, Father, thank you that your final word was not simply you will destroy our wisdom, you'll just leave us alone. But, Father, your final word was the Lord Jesus Christ, who is your wisdom and your power. Forgive us for all the ways that we try and achieve a relationship with you where we try and where we think we're better than other people. Father, would you help us humble ourselves before you and receive Jesus. Father, we thank you that he is your wisdom and your power for salvation. Keep growing us. And Father, we pray that you would help us with with compassion and with courage. 
to carry your message of Jesus Christ and him crucified into the world. We pray this for your glory. Amen.